Hello, 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 and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. Arts Respond is a collaboration with the Arts Council of Greater New Haven. So who am I and why am I here? I'm Lucy Gelman. I work for the Arts Council, and today I am really excited that my guest is Reverend Odell Montgomery Cooper. She, uh, You may know her if you're a longtime viewer of the show. If you're not and you're just joining us for the first time today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Reverend Cooper uh, wears many, many hats in and beyond New Haven and in the state of Connecticut, but among them, she is the founder of Interruptions, which is a book, a podcast series, a live performance. Um, it has given birth to classes as well as Let's Talk, which is a beautiful peer-to-peer -peer framework that was piloted in New Haven last year. So I'm really excited, um, Reverend Odell Montgomery Cooper, to have you back on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for having me back. Pleasure to be oh, here. Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased. <laughs> and so today we are talking about many things, but one of them is a Healing for Generational Trauma Roundtable that will be held next week on Friday, November, sorry, September 30th. Clearly, I haven't had enough coffee today. Friday, September 30th from 11.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Bloom, which yes. is a wonderful spot on Edgewood Avenue in Westville. So first of all, welcome, welcome. I feel like we have a, a, a lot of ground to cover, but I'm wondering for folks who maybe haven't listened to the show before, if you can talk a little bit about what interruptions is and the interruptions in your life that prompted the writing of this book. And I, I will say people can now buy the book. It yes. is out. The book is out since last October. It was, um, we had our book signing at People Get Ready Bookstore last October and it's doing well. So what is interruptions? Interruptions is what I have labeled my story as. It is my story of going through a traumatic journey of losing my son to gun violence almost five years ago, killed by mistaken identity, and the journey of healing from that trauma. I disrespected mental health. I ignored the body signs that my body was telling me that it was something was going on. So culturally, we're taught to keep going, be strong, handle it, don't talk about it, just keep going, pray more. And all the myths and stigmas that we give ourselves or we've been taught wasn't helping me to heal. So I started to dismiss them and found a path towards healing. Uh, didn't wait it too long because a year later on my son's birthday, I suffered a brain aneurysm and almost died by ignoring mental health. And it has changed my entire life. And a dear friend of ours, Jonathan Berryman, convinced me, I always mention his name, and convinced me to tell my story through the arts and to write a book. He says, people need to hear your story of healing and how you went through it and what you did. So Interruptions is a story about resilience and emotional wellness that regardless of what anyone has gone through as a traumatic interruption in your life, that we have what it takes, the ability to be resilient, rebound back and find a path towards healing. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that part of this story, I think that part of the story is also using the arts and arts and culture 
as a vehicle, not only for healing, but really having very frank anti-racist discussions within that. Because one of the things you talk about in the book is being told um, over and over, like there was an expectation that you would be the strong black woman. And I say that in quotations because mm -hmm. in, in the book, that is something that you name. And you say that people gave you um, a little grace, but really not nearly enough grace. You had gone through this massive loss, right? Mm -hmm. um, parents are not supposed to lose their children. We don't have a name for it in the English language. And you had gone through a, a loss and found that people sort of gave you a couple of weeks and then expected you to come back to work, come back yes. to worship and be okay. Yes. And that's what I had to struggle with because I believe that because that's what I was told. You know, you are a strong black woman. I'm a Howard University graduate. And they tell you that you're strong, you're black, you can get through this. And when you go out into the world, you have to be stronger and better than your counterparts because we have to be better. My family, my faith, this is what we tell one another in our culture. And it's not just the African-American culture, it's culturally, it's what we say, keep it to yourself. And did you pray more? Do you have more faith? They questioned my faith and none of that was helping me to heal. So I dismissed it. And it was when I decided to say that I am a black woman who is strong, but right now I'm weak and I need help. I need to talk about it. I need to let people know that I can't do this. I'm feeling some kind of way that I didn't feel before was when I really entered my journey towards healing. So I, I do, before we get to the healing roundtable that is next Friday. So if, if you're listening to this live next Friday, September 30th, if you're listening to it, not live, disregard that I said, um, sort of Friday to Friday, just hold on to that September 30th date. And um, before we get to talking about that, I want to talk about how interruptions has grown. I, I actually love that you have behind you the two faces on the side of the tree, because yes. I think of this as something that started as a seed and the seed was pain yes. um, and, and trauma and the need to heal. Yes. And it grew these roots that were very much um, in the community, I think you had you had a a number uh, for as many folks as as we're saying. Okay, we expect you to get back back to normal, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. You also had people who were there to hold you. I think yes. Jonathan was one of those people. Um, I think uh, the Reverend Jerry Streets, who we've been lucky enough to have on the show, was one of those people. And so gradually, this community built around you, but also around the project of interruptions. And I'm interested to, to talk a little bit and let listeners know how that has bloomed, because I know that it, it no longer lives just in New Haven and Hamden. This right. is a Connecticut story. I think in many ways, this is a national story because there are people, there are women, but also I, I wanna name just parents siblings experiencing trauma across this country because in in many ways so gun violence which stole your son from us is in many ways a uniquely american epidemic yes um i could not would not be here today if i didn't have the support 
I was able to, my sorority sisters, um, Delta Sigma Theta sorority, uh, my family, my friends came from out of state and they realized that I needed help and they were there for me. So, and then being able to figure out how to tell this story. It wasn't anything that I had planned on ever doing because I'm healing. So as I'm learning how to tell the story, the story was supposed to be a stage production at Bergamo's and then it ended up pandemic happened, interruption. So it's online, it's on YouTube. And then the book came out and Jonathan Berman kept saying, oh, you gotta write the book. So you write the book, people are reading the book, they're having discussion. And in the back of my head, excuse for those that are not in a faith, but I, my voice, the godly voice said, write a workbook and have discussions. So I've been teaching interruptions in Hartford at First Cathedral Church this summer. They had two sessions. I've been teaching it online. I am teaching it now with uh, Christian Tabernacle Church. I'm doing their Bible study with through Pastor King. Um, Pastor Andall at Community Baptist in New Haven has had this. I was, Interruptions was invited last month with the support of Clifford Beers to be a guest speaker at the uh, National Trauma Conference. UCLA and Duke University sponsored a trauma conference for youth and Interruptions was presented at a national platform. And it was unbelievable to believe that my story is resonating and people wanted to hear more. And Lucy, you're gonna be the first one to hear it. I'm gonna tell it to you now. And I haven't announced it yet, but Interruptions has also, is a course program at Hartford International University. We offered it last year as a course and a, a Bible study program that I work with, Grace Theological Seminary, um, has, offered, has invited this to be a course in their program. And next month, October 16th, she has invited me interruptions to Italy to, to go to Rome to have a discussion about trauma with other scholars who have read the book and students to talk about trauma outside the Vatican with other students and other scholars. And I am so excited that she invited me and I was going to have this invitation to spread and to share the word, share this message of hope and healing. And hope and healing looks different for everybody. So I'm just blessed of all the blessings that are coming my way and all the support and messages. So yes, it has a, has a national platform now. And that, I mean, in some ways that's sort of a weird, uh, this is me getting off script a little bit, but it's sort of a weird full circle moment because you grew up traveling. You yes. grew up jet setting, right? <laughs> I did. My father worked for TWA. So back then you could travel all the time, you know, first, you know, um, standby. So my mother had me traveling at the age of 16. I was going to two countries every summer in high school. And so I, and she traveled and we traveled all over and she learned that we can get bumped from a plane, be in Egypt and stay in Egypt overnight. So we traveled a lot. So traveling is yes, I'm, I, I love traveling. 
Um, so I, I want to talk about the September 30th. Yes. Well, I mean, I want to talk about Rome too, like a reporter, <laughs> travel coach and come on that trip and cover you. Right. But, um, but I, but I want to talk about the healing for generational trauma round table. And because I believe that language access is so important that people may hear terms and not recognize them. I'm wondering if first we can just ground our readers, uh, listeners, sorry, I'm a reporter too, um, in, in what generational trauma is, because some folks may hear that and think, I don't know what that means. Generational trauma is our language and behavior that has been passed down from our elders. And we adopt a certain characteristics from our peers, our coworkers, our education, our status, our zip code tells us that we're supposed to conduct ourselves in a certain way. We rarely, some of us in our culture, rarely talk about grief, talk about loss, how to deal with it. If you're a woman, you're taught to keep things to yourself. You don't air your dirty laundry. Um, if you're a person of faith, have more faith, trust God, or that if you're on this journey, it's God ordained and God knew that this is where he wanted you to be. And that's generational trauma, believe it or not, because we tend to repeat the same behaviors, we carry the same behaviors, and we communicate that to the next generation and the next generation. But what we don't what I had to learn within the next, the last five years, that trauma is hereditary, that I may look like Odell that you saw four years ago, but on the inside of my body, my body was responding to PTSD, depression, anxiety, and that was something that you could not see, but you could see a change of behaviors. And there's the behaviors that we dismissed and say, well, she's moody, she's having one of those days or maybe she's in her cycle. And I'm like, I'm, I'm 60, I'm not in my cycle, <laughs> you know? So it's not that. So what was going on with me was biological and we don't teach that, we don't know that. And I could not help what was going on with me biologically until I, see, until I saw a doctor to get the help that I needed. So I had to learn to talk about it. And that's what we're told, the myths and stigmas, not to talk about it, keep it to yourself, pray more. My therapist said to me, I don't care how much oil they pour on your head at church on Sundays, Odell, you have to stop drinking alcohol. And I began using alcohol to, yes, the Reverend used alcohol to numb the pain and it wasn't helping. So I'm making my life worse by not understanding what's going on biologically. So it's the words, our culture that we pass down and we don't even realize that we're doing it. And you know, I learned about vicarious trauma. My granddaughter was four and she's picking up on the tension and the stress in the household, but doesn't have the language to communicate how she's feeling. So she was going to daycare and acting out her anger and it began to affect her. And she was being dismissed from school early because they didn't know what to do with her until we had to figure out she can't, she, she doesn't know the words, let's help her through this. So it's generational. Um, I, I was going into, it, and it's, it's in my book, 
I was going to surgery and I told my daughter to go to work. And that was the worst thing I could have ever told her, but I wanted her to be strong. And what I should have said, what I had to apologize to her for telling her to go to work. I said, listen, if anything happens to me again, take the insurance money, take some time off, don't go to work <laughs> and don't pay a bill that's in my name. <laughs> you know, just, just let it go, but take care of yourself. And we have to give ourselves permission to grieve. And grief and traumatic grief are two totally different behaviors. And that's what generational trauma is about. And we're gonna talk about it in the Let's Talk program. We're going to talk about it next Friday at Bloom. So I, I want to talk about this round table and what, you know, what folks can expect. And in addition to interruptions, which everyone should read, which we will post the link to the book, on the website under this interview. Um, but I, I just would be remiss if I didn't also mention the book, The Body Keeps the Score. That yes. has been a, a really, um, I would say foundational text for me. Mm -hmm. I find that sometimes humans forget that we're attached to these things called bodies. And that when you experience um, all sorts of grief, you may feel it. Like you yeah. will, you will feel it in you, whether you feel it today or you feel it in two years, I don't know. Um, but I, I cannot recommend that book highly enough. It has changed my life. So it has changed mine. Also, the body keeps the score to know that the day that I went to the crime scene where my son mm. interruption happened to know that my body kept the score. And a year later, I had a brain aneurysm and brain aneurysms are hereditary. And I didn't know that. So the body keeps the score. We don't talk about our health. We don't share that information with the next generation. And this is what a, a generational trauma is about, part of it. So I, I do want to talk about the healing process. And that begins okay. in some ways talking about this, what folks can expect on September 30th. Um, so, and, and I want to shout out Alicia Crutchfield McLean over at Bloom, who is just like one of the most wonderful humans in New Haven, but yes. in the world really, um, because she has opened this to be a community space for whomever needs it. So what can people expect when they walk in to this round table at 1130 on Friday, September 30th? Thank you. And yes, Alicia is wonderful. And we selected Bloom because when you walk in, you immediately feel a sense of peace, the smell, the place, her spirit. And she's from Boston. So I got to give the shout out to my home girl. And we chose that place because you, you need to be able to give healing when you open up conversations of trauma. And I also wanted to support her as well. So what you're going to experience is that when you come and I'm partnering with CTVIP, their team is going to be there as well to talk about their programs and resources. But we're going to, what Jihad and I are going to do, introduce ourselves and set the platform for the day. And within the day, people are going to have small groups because people share and talk about small groups. My trainers who are going to be with me are going to talk about interruptions interruptions of different types of life because different people that we are hoped are going to be there are from the church 
They have a nonprofit. They work with drugs and alcoholic, domestic violence. They work with um, housing. So all of these interruptions, teenage pregnancy are an interruption. So to let them know that it's not just gun violence. And then we're going to have and take a break. Then we're gonna have a nice session that we're gonna talk about trauma, what the behaviors, how the behaviors appear, what they look like, because we've been dismissing these behaviors and calling them something else. So the sessions will talk about trauma. Then we're going to have special gifts for people. Okay, I'm not gonna tell you what they are, you have to show up. And then the last session, we're going to talk about resilience and emotional wellness. So we have Thema Graves, who's gonna be there. She's going to, she's from New Haven as well. She and I was in CLP together. She's gonna to talk about Reiki, tips that you can do to your, for yourself to help give you some peace of mind throughout the day. In the bloom, there's a healing and emotional room. So we have smells and scents and relaxation and networking. And we want it, and we hope that it doesn't rain, so we're gonna have inside and outside has a nice fire pit and we have juices. We are going to have lunch. We have special teas that we're going to be giving you and just groundedness to give you the tips because even though what we forget is that we serve other people to help them to heal that we forget about ourselves. That when we walk through the door, through our lives, our own personal lives, we have our own interruptions. So we want people to experience a small portion of the Let's Talk program so that they can understand how do I get this in my church? How do I have this in my community? Can we do a book talk conversation? How do we use the different three models and be able to start breaking through the myths and stigmas of generational trauma to help people understand that there is a path towards healing? And, you know, and for you, who are you expecting to show up? And, and I will say really quickly, just because you said CTVIP, for folks who don't know, that's the Connecticut Violence Intervention Program. Oh, don't women apologize too much. Don't apologize. Um, it's some some people hear that and they're like, yes, I know exactly what that yes. is. Some people might not. Um, but, you know, who are you? Who have you heard from that, you know, is is coming? Who are you expecting to see? And, um, and also, and, and you mentioned this a little bit, you know, where are you hoping that they will take this work? I sent out about, always send out more, more invitations than possible. I invited local churches, different faiths, not just uh, church, but institutions of faith communities. I hope that they come and they can see a path towards using the Let's Talk program in their community. I've invited nonprofit leaders, people who are in charge of programs. Um, uh, for instance, I'm doing this shout out and I don't personally know him, Henry Fernandez with LEAP. His program, they, his staff, they train and work with our young community. So yes, I'm putting it out there for him, but yes, I will, hopefully he comes so that I can be able to have a partnership with LEAP to train their staff to recognize these behaviors and our youth that they work with. Our community, uh, different nonprofits, there's so many out there that I don't know. Individuals who work with 
domestic violence, drug violence, housing authorities. Um, I did invite housing authority to come. Evelise Ribeiro, she did accept the invitation to come. Um, and there's just so many new centers that have opened up that I'm unaware of that are out there that this is for them to come and experience interruptions, not ex but experience the Let's Talk program to see how can we partner, use this local program and their facility to help address generational trauma and emotional wellness. I think that's true. Within that, I also want to mention an interruption that you mentioned as an interruption earlier in the episode. So in addition to the interruptions that you very clearly experienced in your own life, we had this global interruption, right? That sort of hit New Haven, I think around March 12th or 13th, 2020, which was the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. And I think for all of us, but especially for young, I want to be very careful about how I choose my words because all kids are good kids, but it's especially for young people. And I've seen this while reporting in a lot of our schools in New Haven. Um, it, has, it has very much been an interruption that has changed behavior, I think, outside of school and inside yes. of school for, for young people and for teachers. I've seen teachers um, maybe reach limits uh, faster than they did before the pandemic. I'll say it in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I'm wondering how this work, Odell, has changed for you as you've continued to grow its footprint in the pandemic, because COVID is this thing, we were talking off mic before the show about this, COVID is this thing that's still with us, yes. but it has changed. The way it is showing up in our lives has continued to change since that point in early 2020. It has changed and has changed how people interact with one another, how safe they are, how they feel. It's changed our entire life, uh, COVID has, and everyone's dealing with it differently. It, um, some people have said that it was great because they got a chance to take a break, a break from getting dressed and going out. Um, they've gotten some rest. <laughs> um, and most people have needed some well-deserved rest but it has caused some places where, where if people were in a domestic violence relationship and one of the people who were the who was creating the violence, now you're stuck in the house with that person and you don't get a break. And children are stuck and they don't get a break to go out. And they're in the house with parents trying to deal with tension and anxiety and stress and it impacts them it impacts your school and they're like I just need to be able to get out and see my friends and do something it has impacted our entire life uh, the faith community is worshiping differently uh, the communities are um, also another group that I did not mention that I um, have, have reached out to was the LBTQ plus community because you know they talk about the church. You know, we failed our community. The black church failed us when it came to same gender, loving and relationships. And we know that. And we're really hoping that the church does not fail us on mental health because we tell people that 
your pastor, he or she, your reverend, your rabbi, your whoever is not your medical doctor. They are not equipped to heal you. They can pray for you. They can counsel you. But some parts of mental health are biological and you need to see a professional doctor. I can't look at someone and tell I, that they have anxiety or they have depression or I need to take medication. So pastors have said, how do you help us to help our community? So the Let's Talk program is a tool not to give congregations or houses of faith more work, but to partner with you as using the Let's Talk program to help your congregation realize that in addition to going to my house of faith, I can talk about it and take some action and get help because we all have anxiety or, or what's going to happen next? Is my job going to be there? I don't know how to use this Zoom button and, and how to click on or you know the technology. So everyone, age, it's it's all over. It's happening with us. And I, I did, you know, as you were talking about this, couple, a couple things came to mind. One is that just this week, and I'm, I'm forgetting which, it was like a peer-reviewed paper that came out that said everyone under 65, I would submit like everyone, period, full stop, yeah. should undergo a screening for anxiety and, and mental stress. And my first reaction when I read that headline was, wow, I can't believe they had to do a study to, to get to that point. <laughs> But my second was, I'm really pleased that finally people are talking about this because it is so stigmatized. Um, I'm also wondering, Reverend Odell Montgomery Cooper, as, as you're talking about this, how has it also changed your relationship with your faith? I mean, it's, it's interesting you brought up the church and specifically the black church. Um, I, I will say one thing I think about a lot because I, I talked to a lot of faith leaders, so I am Jewish. My partner grew up in a Christian family, and I've heard about like 25 different interpretations of Jesus, mm -hmm. and some people seem to be really confused about the fact that Jesus was pretty radical, um, <laughs> and I, I hope I'm not about to get in hot water with anyone. Um, I feel like someone's going to be on the phone yelling at me after this episode, but but that he was uh, all about if you were sick, if you were poor, if you were a sex worker, he he wanted to be in community with you and he cared about you as you were, uh, not specifically as you could be. And so I'm, I'm wondering, especially because you were told in this grieving process, I will say grief is a lifelong process, right? Oh, you just need to pray more and you'll be okay. How has that changed your own relationship with your faith? It changed drastically. Um, being told just to pray more, I was praying, and people say, and I and I honestly say that I got mad at God because I believe that in the knowledge that I had, the faith that I had, that God could have saved my son. And it's like, why didn't you save my son? Because that's the language, the crippling language that we use that God saves and God's not a genie. You can't, you know, he's not a genie in a box. That's how we look at God. 
And it, I'm yelling at God every day. I'm mad because you should have saved my son. I'm like, I teach for you. I work for you. I preach for you. I've changed my life for you. And you couldn't save my son. So I'm taking it personally. And through my anger and my conversation with God, I had um, Bishop Brooks from New Haven who helped me heal and Bishop Watts from New London who was there for me 24 seven. Um, a few others who said, I'm here for you. And through talking with me, helping me to, my question was this, help me to see God in a way that you don't teach or preach from the pulpit, but something that you know about God that I need to know differently. And what I knew about God, what we know is it was right there, is that God did save my son. God saved his soul. And when I think about God didn't kill my son, evil, we have two choices in life. We have good, we have free will. We can make a good decision and make a bad decision. Those young men that pulled the trigger that night made a bad decision. Evil killed my son. God saved his soul. And God knew that I was going to go through all of this and said, I need to be with her because she's going to have a hard time getting through this. And when I had the brain aneurysm and people were like, doctors said she's not going to make it, told my family and my sorority sisters like, hey, just pray for her because, you know, stop praying for her. She's not going to make it. And here it is four years later, I am here. And my prayer was different, that my son is dead. I am alive and I want to live. And I'm not living the way that I thought I would, Lucy. You know, college degree, master's degree. You know, I, I, I can drive, I can fly, I can do all these great and wonderful things. I can be in corporate, I can do the, I can't live that life anymore. My life is totally different. I had to create a new life new with new restrictions, but still be happy in it. And to say, I'm alive, I'm living and I'm happy. It's just different than what I expected. So my faith has changed. And I try to help people to understand that God doesn't kill our children. Pe evil kills and or life just happens, pandemic happens, um, bad water happens. We make these poor decisions for our community. That's why voting is important. Um, all of this is important. So I had to learn differently with my God that my God heals and people and bad things do happen, but God is not we can't expect God to save and heal, save and heal, save and heal. And some answers I will never know. And when people say to me, oh, God knew this was going to happen. He let your son die so that you could do interruptions. I do not believe. Evil killed my son. God saved his soul and God saved my life. And I had choices to make on this new path with God. And on this new path, in my relationship with God, I'm being blessing me and I'm blessing others to try to break through generational trauma and find a path towards healing. So I am going to ask 
you a question that I yes. have asked before, but I think that answers evolve. So why use the arts as a vehicle, one vehicle within this? I think also frank conversation, which I mean, sometimes, especially now, we talk around each other, right? Mm -hmm. We don't talk to each other. And I find that often folks who may not see eye to eye just don't don't talk to each other at all anymore, which sure. is very alarming to me. Um, but why is the arts as an engine for social change, for healing from generational trauma, for, for talking about generational trauma? Why was that something that spoke um, pretty directly to you, to your experience in both the book the performance. I, and I know that part of it was Dr. Berryman was a, a little buzzing in here. And, and he is just, I just want to shout, Jonathan, if you're listening, yes. I just want to shout you out because you are a delightful human being and we love you. Yes, the arts, the arts council is my fiduciary and I landed in the arts people, but I'm not an arts person. <laughs> um, but it's the arts because it's a narrative, it's storytelling. How do you tell your story through the arts so that people can not just read it, see it on television or look at it on YouTube, but how do you express healing without words? And the arts is the is the one of the places that we've been, we, we've been telling our story through the arts for years. All cultures have been telling their story through the arts. How do you speak it, drum it? How do you listen to it through music? How do you act it out in mind? How do you tell your story of healing through love and relationships? How do you do that? And you can do that through the arts with your body, your language, with others. So that's why the arts, because you have multiple platforms of being able to share and tell a story. And I actually started podcasting. It's like telling a story, but it's, Communication is like you said, Lucy, how do you open your mouth and tell a story and give people the space? One of the doctors, um, Dr. Stephen Southwick watched my play, the late Stephen Southwick. And he called me and he said, Odell, you missed it. You missed telling the story of being resilient. And I didn't know who Stephen Southwick was. And when I Googled him, he was, the best PTSD doctor in the country. And he watched my story and he coached me, Lucy, every month. He would work on, in Zoom. He met with me in person, didn't charge me one penny. And he says, I wanna help you to tell your story, but to talk about resilience. He says, we don't talk about it enough. And that's what he did. He passed away two months ago but he blessed me with the gift of friendship and to said, tell your story. It's a resiliency and use the arts and let people know that we have something that in our lifetime that we've been given from our ancestors, whether our friends or whomever, that we have what it takes to find a path towards healing. It just looks different. I never thought that I would be here at the age of 60 in this space of emotional wellness. And people of color don't like the word mental health. 
So we call it emotional wellness. So it tastes better. But in this space, I had a path carved out for me. I was on that path, but now my path is different. And here I am with the arts, doing radio shows with you and doing a generational healing so that we can change our language, our behaviors, and to have a relationship with God. Because it's not just reading your Quran or your Bible that gives you that relationship with God. Sometimes it's crippling because people say, the word of God says this. But what does it really mean? Do you really understand what it means? How do you dissect it and, and talk about it? So I'm in Grace Theological Seminary and then in Hartford International University, we talk about it. So this trauma has changed me. I teach differently, I speak differently. And I, I told my pastor Bennett at Mount Airy Baptist Church that I will never get in the pulpit at a funeral and look at a family again and say, don't cry. I did that sitting in that front pew. I didn't cry at my son's service because I was trying to be strong for my daughter. And a year later, I finally went back into that chair, that front pew, and I sat down and I cried and I eulogized my son. So I will never tell anyone not to cry when someone they loved is gone. Feel those emotions, own it, express it, and be with it. You have a right to do that. So it has changed me, it's changed my language, it changes what I do and what I say and how I feel. Do you, before um, this final question that I have, do you think that, and, and I think that you are very powerfully talking about and changing uh, this, but do you think that Americans have a certain relationship with grief? Because I was just at a funeral last Friday and a number of people said, don't cry. Don't like celebrate this person because they were here. Don't cry because they're gone. And at one point, his sister um, came over to the casket and just like collapsed screaming over the casket. And it was beautiful and necessary. Um, and I thought this, like, I, I would so much rather whatever, um, whatever display of grief someone needs to give into that they just give into that. Do you feel like people gradually are changing or, or do you feel like there's still this um, relationship with grief where like our shoulders are up at our ears? It's a combination of both because culturally we're taught not to cry. Some pastors may say from the pulpit, oh, don't cry, they're in a much better place. If the person was 80, 70, was sick, and yes, they're old-er and they pass, but at 16, 24, they're in a much better place, don't cry, no. If they were murdered, if they got a sickness that they inherited and they're, no, cry. You're supposed to cry. And I re, I'm mad at myself that at 24, I let my, that my son was 24, that I did a celebration of life. I should have called it what it was, a homegoing service, not a celebration of life. Because at 24, I didn't want to celebrate his life 
that he's not here. Yes, he's in a much better place, but not by choice. His life was stolen from him and the joys were stolen from us. So yes, they're with God, but he wasn't sick. He was healthy, healthy and living his life and looking forward to the next day. And that was robbed of our youth. That is robbed of our young people. They're not, yes, they're in heaven. They're in a much better place, but their life was stolen from us and from them and their dreams were stolen. And we have to, me, I say for some of us that yes, they're in a much better place, but we still need to honor the fact that their life was stolen from them and their dreams were stolen. And that's how I look at it. So I tell my pastor, if I'm in the pulpit, I tell people cry. You're supposed to cry. You're supposed to mourn them. You're supposed to feel what you feel when you get triggers and you think about them on their birthdays or a song. And I used to still cry, I'm crying now, but it's crying because I, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. And my daughter and I now hear a song when we look at each other and we laugh, where four years ago we could not laugh. Hmm. So it's time, but it's healing because we did the work. We saw the counselors, we took the medication, we did the prayers, we took the support, we invested in what we needed to for ourselves, and we're getting better. Yeah. And it's, and I, I think you you speak about this so beautifully it's both and it can be the church and counseling yes it can be um it, it can be prayer and psychiatry if you need yes. a psych psychotherapy and psychiatry um i am a big believer in uh, not just talk therapy but antidepressants i've seen them save people's lives so if you're listening to this and you think you need help if you need to talk to someone please talk to someone, please, please, please. Um, yes. So just very quickly, Odell, I, I want to ask you, you know, as this program not only goes national, but goes global. And I will say, you know, when you're famous and I have to go through an agent <laughs> to you, I'm going to say, I knew her win. And I, I wrote on her win, right? I'm going to um, love that day. <laughs> but, but as this even goes global and you have this conference in Italy coming up, what are you hoping to, to share with people, to continue to share with people as you spread this message of interruptions in your life and the interruptions that they may be experiencing in their lives? Healing, healing and hope. When I first had my tra traumatic experience, life was dark. There wasn't any hope. I didn't see it. And you can fight through it. You can fight through it. You can work through it. Just, we have to know that a lot of it is not mentally, it's biological. And if it's biological, then you need some type of medicine. We get a headache, we'll take a Tylenol. Um, we can do that. So we need to also pay attention to our body, our language, our behaviors, what we teach, what we are afraid to talk about. We are the words that we're saying to ourselves and generations is generational trauma. We're continually passing it down from generation to generation. But I want people to be mindful of language, be mindful of what they say and what they do. 
I've had people come back to me and say, I no longer call someone when, and say, how are you feeling when someone passes? They said, your book has helped me not to do that. I call and say, how are you sleeping? Or what's the grief process like for you now? Or just show up. So changing behaviors is what I want us to know. And that healing is going to look different for everybody. It's just that we deserve it. My last, actual last question, I promise, okay. is how how are you practicing? And because doing all of this is also it, I am sure that there is some reliving of trauma for you because how could there not be? And so how are you caring for yourself and for your heart? I work out. I go to the gym. I'm going to go back to Tai Chi because it was very peaceful and relaxing for me. I don't have my computer in my room. I shut everything down, turn my phone off. I work exercising, I'm breathing. I underestimated meditation. So I meditate in the morning and in the evenings. I listen to quiet music and it's candles. It's a little bit of everything. I'm strong in my faith. I still go to church, whether I see that I go to church online or in person. And I am learning to accept I'm different now. So, and then I, I really just shut down. If I've had enough, I've had enough. And I'm, cause I can't medically, I'm not able to return to work full time the way that I used to when I first met you. I'm not able to do that because of the brain aneurysm. So I have to monitor myself. What am I going to do in a day? What am I doing in the week? Who am I talking to? I can't talk for long periods of time. So I manage every day, every aspect of my life to know when I've had enough, pay attention to my body. And when I'm tired, I shut down so that I don't get overstimulated. And that's what I manage. I love that. Um, well, Reverend Odell Montgomery Cooper, I want to thank you so much. If you've listened to our show, thank you for joining us here on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. We appreciate that you're here. Please come back early and often. So if you've listened to our conversation and you want to know more about interruptions, disrupting the silence, you can find the book on Amazon. Um, you can also find a lot of Odell's work at revodellresilience.com. That's Rev, R-E-V, Odell, O-D-E-L-L, resilience, resilience.com. That's one word.com. Um, or uh, you can visit, uh, is it open to the public? I, I should have asked that first. I've asked people to register because okay. we have limited space. So the Beautiful. Eventbrite, it's on Eventbrite. It's on my social media page. They can Perfect. email me, call. Uh, we're not going to turn anybody away. It's We want them to experience, to know yeah. that this experience is available here. Um, so yes, it's um, not, we want people to register because we want to make sure that we're respecting spatial distance at, at Bloom. Yes. So we have a registration cap size of 60 people. So please register early. We still, oh, and somebody from Boston purchased two tickets. I, uh, a friend of mine, she has a mental health clinic in Boston and she's coming down. 
Um, amazing. Amazing. So she purchased two tickets and they're coming down to see the Let's Talk program, experience it so that she can figure out how to use it in her and her site in Boston. That is awesome. So if you've heard us talking about a healing for generational trauma roundtable and you think, hey, that sounds like something I might be interested in, it probably is. Check out the Eventbrite, please register. We would appreciate that. Um, Reverend Odell Montgomery Cooper, thank you so much for joining me today on thank Arts you. Respond. Have a beautiful Friday afternoon. The sun is shining. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.